Good evening. It's a pleasure to welcome you all here tonight for a discussion, presentation, a Q&A on Professor Gilbert Ashkar's book, The People Want, a Radical Exploration of the Arab Uprising. Uh, my name's uh, John Chalcraft. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Government at LSE. Uh, the running order is going to be that instead of uh, Professor Ashkar giving a 45-minute lecture, where go I'm going to discuss with him uh, the book to try to tease out the key theses, its relation to the historiography. The second thing I'm going to do is try and get him to update his... Because uh, part of the book, he undertakes uh, an analysis of the... The, the, the current balance sheet of the uprisings, and he does it in 2012. So I'm going to try and get him to bring that a bit closer to the present. And the third set of uh, questions that I'm going to ask him will be a bit more critical. That should last about 40 minutes, and then we should have time for 40 minutes of questions and, uh, from the audience and, and answers from Professor Ashkar, and we're going to close at 8 p.m. And afterwards, there'll be books... Uh, here, which uh, I think you'll be willing to sign, won't you, Gilbert? And uh, and so, and do please put your telephones on silent mode if you haven't already. And uh, and so, it's a it's a real pleasure to welcome Professor Ashkar tonight to LSE, and, and thanks, of course, to the Middle East Centre and to Sarah Mustry in particular for organising uh, this event. But uh, Professor Ashkar's had a distinguished career. He's now a professor in development studies uh, and uh, international relations at the School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS. He's uh, researched and written in Beirut, in Paris, now in London. He has a string of important books to his name. Uh, he has several books uh, that do important analyses of U.S. foreign policy. He's got one that was... Uh, co-authored with Noam Chomsky that's entitled The Middle East and uh, U.S. Foreign Policy. He has this important book that recently came out, The Arabs and the Holocaust, which is it's not just about the Arabs and the Holocaust. It's a book that undertakes a sort of, it's part political history, but part of kind of a rich uh, analysis of a whole series of competing ideologies and conflicts uh, in the Arab world surrounding issues uh, in the, the war of narratives in the Israel-Palestine conflict. He's got this recent book called Orientalism, Marxism and Cosmopolitanism, or perhaps it's not in that order, but it's quite an exacting uh, methodological analysis, particularly take, he takes to task uh, a whole series of French thinkers who've written and spoken about Islamism. And his latest book that we're here to discuss uh, tonight is this book, The People Want a radical exploration of the Arab uprising. Uh, it's, uh, it's an important intervention. I, mean, I don't want to presage uh, the conversation, but it's an intervention that comes out of the historically historic, the tradition of historical materialism, but it's also one that's not simply schematic and reductive. It's one that's written by somebody 
who it's it, you know this isn't someone who's just read Das Kapital and is pronouncing from the precincts of York University on distant events in some part of the world that simply uh, uh, conform to a pre-existing model. This is an analysis rooted in the historical materials tradition, but done by someone who's uh, erudite and, and also exacting analytically. So it's very interesting. It's a provocation. It's an important publication. Uh, and so um, perhaps we could just welcome Professor Ashkar to, to this event. So as mentioned, I'm going to pose a, a series of questions in order that we can have a conversation for sort of 40 minutes uh, to present the book. Uh, and the first string of questions I simply wanted to try to get you to expose some of the key theses of the book and its relationship to the historiography and to other uh, social science analysis and analysis in Middle East studies and indeed the media. And maybe that's the first question. What, what is, I mean, this book, what's the contribution? What's the, how do you situate it vis-a-vis -vis all the other stuff? on the Arab uprisings and in Middle East studies in particular? Uh, how, does it, you know, how does it relate to the, to the existing literature? Because actually in the book you don't dwell, uh, for better or for worse, on that question. Uh, so how, does it, how, does, how do you situate it within, within the larger conversations about the Arab uprisings? Well, first of all, uh, thank you very much, uh, John, for, for this uh, very, uh, very generous uh, introduction. Thanks for the, 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 the thanks to the, the Middle East Center and to, to Sarah, also has been uh, very helpful in uh, in organizing and uh, this uh, this this meeting. And th thank you all for for coming for being here. And uh, well, I look forward uh, to the discussing with with you all about all these issues. Um, now, with regard to, to, to your question, John, which is uh, the, the, the typical question you get from publishers when you have to fill something about your book project or whatever, uh, in, in what regard does your book uh, differ from the existing uh, literature? Um, uh, well, on, on the one hand, you, you probably uh, already emphasize one aspect of, uh, of what could be a dis, dis, uh, I mean, distinguishing character of, uh, of of this book, which is you you spoke of rooted in, in sorry, maybe I should bring this in in historical materialism, uh, which is uh, it could be taken sometimes as a code name for Marxism. Um, uh, it is it is definitely it is definitely the case, and that makes it uh, already uh, something different in, in a way because most of the literature, with uh, very few exceptions, uh, especially when it comes to Middle East studies, uh, are, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, alien or stranger or uh, to this kind of, of, of tradition. But uh, what I would like to emphasize at the same time is precisely you point to this, not to other dimensions of the book, uh, because the other dimensions of the book are more common in a way. Mm. For instance, my, uh, uh, I almost use as much Weber here than yeah. Marx. Yeah. 
and they are usually sold as antithetical, as competing or you know contradictory thinkers, which of course I don't. Uh, I mean, it's a, a view I don't uh, agree with at all. And uh, and I use many other uh, trends of, of of thought, and many other traditions in uh, in political science, in uh, in sociology, and the rest. So it, it's a. I, I mean, I, I would put it, uh, or I, I would present it as a very uh, open kind of, of perspective and a very critical uh, brand of, uh, or a critical use of Marxism, which is open to, to uh, other uh, other contributions, other currents. Can I push you on yep. on the, you know, what when you look at the rest of the literature, what are its key weaknesses, like? Yeah, that's the point. But that's why I started saying you emphasized the, the, what you saw as the most uh, prominent distinguishing uh, feature of, uh, of, uh, of the book. And how does it translate? Well, it translates in something. It's not a matter of, uh, of slogans or putting uh, labels or whatever. It's a method of reading history, historical events, and something like a revolution. Uh, uh, when you are uh, um, uh, trying to analyze through the prism of historical materialism, then that means that you will uh, uh, look for the, let's say, the material roots of the political historical events that you are considering. And that would mean basically the economic, the social economic roots of what is happening. And that's why the, the, the subtitle of the book, A Radical Exploration of the Arab Uprising, uh, that's what it refers to. I mean, you have the two senses of the term radical, but one of them is going to the roots. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do believe that uh, uh, this uh, big uh, revolutionary shockwave that started in the region in 2011 uh, finds its roots uh, uh, deeply in, in the, the, the economic uh, 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 blockage of the, of the, that the region has been going through for, for decades and the, 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 the deep social problems that have been produced by this, uh, this blockage, uh, uh, most prominent among uh, which is uh, the massive unemployment, the, the record rates of unemployment that are characteristic of the whole uh, region, uh, especially youth unemployment. And you, when you, you take a closer look at that, you will find also a very high graduate unemployment. And this in itself is, is already providing a clue to uh, one major aspect of the social dynamics of, of this uprising, uh, as, you know, which has been presented as a use, Facebook, etc. I won't repeat all that. But you, you, find, you find there a lot of, of, uh, of, uh, of um, uh, light, if you want, to be, to be shed on, on, on what's going on. And uh, from that, I mean, when you understand that you have here the, the, the deep roots of, of the problem, you can also also move from that into identifying the kind of, of, uh, of, I mean, what is responsible for this economic blockage? What is responsible for this situation that I just uh, uh, pointed to? Right. And then the, 
where you get, I mean, that's the kind of explanation uh, that you get into a, a, a critical social perspective, a critical sociology of what exists. And you, you find, you, you emphasize the, the uh, peculiarities of the social political structure that prevails in the region. This, it's uh, a very peculiar class, if you want, character, but the, the class character is, uh, would be a very broad, uh, it's not exactly a problem of class, it's much more specific than that. So one, uh, I think, uh, <clears throat> I mean, one, uh, um, I think, uh, clear feature of the book is also when dealing with a historical materialist perspective, it's not taking broad concepts and, you know, very abstractly uh, 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 projecting them on what exists, but on the contrary, going very much in the peculiarities, in what is specific to the region, and what therefore helps us understand the nature of what started, and therefore project or assess what kind of uh, future what yes. happened uh, may have. Okay, so... Uh, so if it's correct to say this book advances the, the, the fundamental thesis that a kind of fettered development, all sorts of constraints on development, unemployment, etc., uh, which perhaps I'm right in saying you, you explain in terms of the lack of fixed capital formation in, in the region, uh, I mean, it, at the economic level, and uh, that that leads to a, a kind of a contradiction which inaugurates eventually an epoch of social revolution. So, but, so that's clear. Can you specify a bit more, because you have a whole chapter on the key modalities of capitalism in the Arab region. As uh, Gilbert says, this isn't just a general abstract scheme. There's a, there's a, a more developed sort of fleshing out of what are the key modalities of capitalism in the Arab region. And here, of course, Max Weber comes in with the neo-patrimonialism, the patrimonialism, and the whole question of crony capitalism. Can you just say a bit more about those key modalities? Yeah. Uh, well, what you, you, you referred to initially was this issue of... Uh, of uh, uh, blocked or fettered development that mm. leads into an epoch of social revolution is uh, uh, that's what you, you meant, an allusion to uh, this uh, quote by Marx with which I, I start the book which is a f very classical idea in Marx who is of course an expert in uh, analyzing revolutions um, uh, and who who uh, described such uh, uh, epochal changes uh, taking revolutionary character as resulting from the, the, the clash, as he put it, the, the contradiction between the development of the productive forces, as he put, put it in his uh, own uh, vocabulary, and what he called the relations of production. Now, uh, this is very uh, general, and from that you will find people, for instance, there were people who explained, ah, this is uh, a manifestation of the crisis of capitalism. So we are in a very broad category. Uh, some other would uh, narrow it down to a, a neoliberalism, which even itself, uh, I would say, is not uh, uh, enough as an explanation of what happens. Of course, the neoliberal transformations that the region 
uh, has seen, like the rest of the world since uh, the 80s and actually even since the 70s from, for some of the countries in the region, uh, uh, contributed a lot in, in, in shaping this uh, explosive potential that uh, exploded uh, in, uh, in 2011. Uh, but it's not a matter, even there, it's not a matter of neoliberalism per se in general. And what I explain is that, so you, you can see that even about neoliberalism, I'm not taking a dogmatic kind of uh, pre, uh, uh, preconceived uh, position. Uh, I don't hesitate to say in that under certain circumstances, neoliberal recipes can work in producing economic development. Now, they can work in producing economic development at a social cost, and, uh, but if you put aside the social cost, uh, you, you may have in countries like Turkey, Chile, etc. This, you had uh, some uh, uh, um, real economic uh, uh, development uh, growth, if you want to, to put it even more quantitatively, occurring uh, as a result of some implementation of neoliberal recipes. So what I am categorical about is that these recipes can't work and haven't worked and, and will not work in the region. And why so? And there we get to the specific uh, social political structure mm. that uh, 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 hinders uh, any kind of program that is uh, uh, based on the postulate of the key role for the private sector. That's what neoliberalism is about. Neoliberalism is about believing that uh, the engine of, the, of economic growth, of development, should be the private sector, and therefore you should, you know, uh, the, the state should withdraw from intervention in the economy and just create all, I mean, uh, the, the conditions for the private sector uh, to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to, to develop. Now, this hasn't worked. These recipes have been tried and they have been applied in the region, but what you got is a retreat, a decline in uh, public investment, which according to the theory should have been uh, compensated by a surge in uh, private investment, all the more that uh, everything had been liberalized the, 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 at the economic level, not at the political level. But this didn't happen. And that's one key in understanding why this region, and this is also I mean, uh, it's based on, on uh, 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 an examination of the data, the, the available data from the international institutions, the World Bank, the ILO, the, the, the UNDP, uh, you name it. Uh, you can see very clearly that this part of the world has had uh, uh, lower rates of growth than any other part of, of the developing world. And when compared to uh, even sub-Saharan Africa, all other parts of Asia, you, you, this, this is striking. And the reason of that is to be found in this issue of investment. And the reason for that is in this peculiar structure, which you also hinted at. The, uh, this part of the world is the highest concentration uh, of, uh, of, of two features uh, of, uh, uh, of, of the state. Rentier states, there's no part of the world where you have such a concentration of rentier states. The, 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 the 
practically all the, 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 the states of the region are rentier states to various degrees, some of them very fully rentier states, some others to an uh, important degree, that is states uh, uh, drawing their income from a, a rent, which can be a natural rent, I mean natural resources, or a strategic rent that is of a political character. We can develop that later. Uh, and the second feature is patrimonial, and not neo-patrimonial. Hmm. Neo-patrimonial states are much more common, if you want, uh, in the global south. But the peculiarity of the region is this very high concentration of, in the full sense, patrimonial states. Yeah. That and just to explain, we are, that means uh, states which, contrary to what the modern state is supposed to be, that is a state where you have <coughs> a, a, um, an, uh, a clear separation between the, the state institution and the, the, the rulers, and the, the ruling uh, uh, staff, if you want, and where the, those who are ruling are uh, servants, uh, of of the state, this is supposed to be the main feature of the modern state, and Weber is the one who most uh, uh, deeply analyzed this uh, this feature. Well, what you ha- still have in uh, in uh, uh, almost a majority of the re- uh, states of the region uh, are situations where the ruling group owns the state. Uh, uh, considers the state as their own, their private ownership. They, they, they behave with that. And this is not only the case of uh, monarchies. It's of, of certainly the case in monarchies, which all of them are absolute monarchies. Even where you have parliaments like Jordan or, uh, or Morocco, these are, uh, uh, but you, this is not within popular sovereignty. This is uh, uh, granted by the monarch. Yeah. So we are still in a, an absolute monarch, absolutist uh, uh, framework. But even uh, some of the so-called republics of, of the region turned or developed in this same patrimonial way and even uh, with what comes with it, which is the hereditary transmission of power. It's the case in, in Libya, Syria... Yeah. Uh, Iraq under Saddam Hussein, uh, right. and you had this trend which was yeah. uh, blocked in uh, in Egypt, in Yemen, and elsewhere. Well, I must admit, I found it this the use of patrimonialism powerful because I remember we had Fawaz Trabulsi here, and he was saying corruption is simply not an adequate characterization of what's going on when you have a situation where the state. The rulers, the leading staffs of the state, consider its tax base to be their own property and inheritance. So, patrimonialism. Can you say something about crony capitalism? Because that that performs this role in the region. Is that just something that happens in the the Gumlukiet, or is it something that happens all over? No, it's all over because of of this kind of social political uh, uh, structure that you have, because of this kind of, of states that you have. The kind of uh, uh, so-called private sector that develops is, in a large part, uh, 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 what actually Weber also called uh, politically determined capitalism. That is, uh, a capitalism that is not determined by any market laws or anything or you know competition or whatever the ideal type would would uh, would like to see, but. Uh, capitalism, which is politically determined, that is determined through the connections between the capitalists and and power and uh, and the rulers, 
uh, a state bourgeoisie, if you want, uh, uh, and that's a major part of what you get. And uh, uh, so, uh, and then you have various levels and degrees of cronism, uh, right. of connection with the the, the, the rulers, right. and overall. Uh, aside from that, if you want, the pr- private capital, uh, the, the, I mean, owners of capital in the region, because of, of, of this very specific political structure, because of the absence of any rule of law, because of the absence of any predictability, uh, long-term predictability, uh, because of the, the, the uh, regional instability, and mind you, this has been very much increased now with the uprising itself. Mm. Uh, uh, I mean, you, you, it's not a matter of. I mean, if if you even if you were the the, the best intentioned capitalist, mm. uh, in in your right mind, you wouldn't uh, go for long term investments and heavy investments under such circumstances. So okay. most of private capitalism goes in in a quick profit uh, seeking kind of uh, of uh, investment uh, speculation. That's one. Result of this, and I, I draw on this in the book, is that if, if you look at uh, compare the uh, construction sector and manufacturing sector, mm. in this part of the world, the construction sector is much uh, uh, more important than the manufacturing sector, which is the contrary of what you have right. in Italy, normally developing uh, yeah. countries. So, so, and this is by the way of, of building up the argument an analysis of fettered development that leads into an epoch a social explosion, a set of uprising specific modalities in the region crony capitalism, patrimonialism and so on, but then there's a whole chapter on regional political factors, can you just say something about that, just in, in one or two minutes, so we get, because these are all building up to the moment where we then have a chapter on actors and parameters of the revolution and, and then consequences yeah well, in two, three minutes, let's say that uh, uh, this whole structure is sustained by, has been sustained historically by Western domination, and, uh, and in the first place, uh, U.S. Uh, domination. Uh, and that's one of the key reasons for this uh, very deep, entrenched hostility to the United States that you find in the region. It's not cultural, as some people would like to, 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 to believe, or, or whatever. It can be from people who are very much in the kind of culture that you, you may call Western, but who, who are hostile to the United States because of uh, seeing the United States as responsible for having uh, protected, uh, supported this, this kind of oppressive uh, structures for, 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 for decades, let alone, of course, the, 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 the Israeli issue, which is another uh, major uh, reason for that. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the one, one reason why, for instance, uh, this region could be such a or appear as a despotic expe- exception worldwide at the time when, since the 80s, you have this uh, third or fourth wave uh, of democracy uh, and even Eastern Europe turning into into a liberal democratic state, uh, even science, even, you know, I mean, Latin America before it, uh, even uh, parts of, of uh, sub-Saharan Africa and uh, and Asia, and yet the region 
remained as this kind of, of, of despotic uh, island, if you want, in this uh, ocean of, of liberal democracy. But one key reason for that is that precisely those who were promoting democracy elsewhere were not uh, uh, were actually uh, uh, sustaining uh, completely despotic regimes in the region. I mean, I, I keep saying in all my conferences that, the, I mean, you can objectively explain how the most undemocratic, the most anti-women, anti uh, the most obscurantist uh, state on earth is the Saudi kingdom. And that's the best friend of the United States and other Western governments who all compete to get contracts and, you know, all kind of, uh, of, of good relations with this, with, this, uh, with this country. And this country, the Saudi Kingdom, has been a main source of uh, uh, um, uh, um, propagation of the most obscurantist, most reactionary interpretation of, of Islam. Mm -hmm. which is uh, Wahhabism. And uh, without that, you can't understand why you have such a strong, uh, um, uh, almost pervasive presence of fundamentalist uh, uh, currents in the region. It's not because of religion per se, as an Orientalist perspective would, uh, would like to believe. It's because you have had, since the 20s of the last century, the birth of this state uh, with this very, 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 very uh, I mean, uh, ultra-fundamentalist reactionary ideology, taking hold of the holy places of Islam and then right. of a huge wealth in oil and, you know, yeah. uh, getting in and propagating all this. So that's a good sort of segue into the next chapter where amid these great structural forces and conditions, you have an analysis of the actors and parameters of the revolution. So, and instead, this is an analysis of, of women's movements, of workers' movements, of the use of uh, information and communication technology, satellites and others, and how, and the whole question of organization and how, how people get organized in order to, uh, to promote the uprisings, which, of course, notwithstanding... The, the connections between Washington and Riyadh and beyond, these were not uh, uprisings, were, were, were not uh, joined under the banners of, of some variety or other of political Islam, but of bread, dignity, freedom, etc. Can you say something about how these uh, actors and parameters uh, intervene into this situation? Uh, yeah. Um uh, well, I mean, indeed, the, the, the uprising, I mean, the 2011 uh, shockwave that we've seen uh, has been preceded, especially in the two countries that played the leading role in, in the, the shockwave, Tunisia and Egypt. Mm -hmm. And in both countries, we can see very clearly that it was preceded by a very uh, clear rise in all sorts of struggles in the, the years before the before 2011, and especially social struggles, actually confirming what uh, uh, I said about the, the the deep social roots of uh, of the, the explosion. If you take Tunisia, you had uh, uh, regional uprisings. Uh, one important uh, in 2008 uh, in the uh, south of the country. 
are uh, on the issue of un unemployment uh, for for jobs i mean people are, uh, uh, rioting for for uh, for for uh, for jobs in uh, um, in egypt you had uh, you have had we have seen the most important uh, wave of uh, uh, wo worker strikes in the history of the country uh, starting in uh, 2004 2005 peaking in 2007 and on until the uprising where it flared up again and went into another peak uh, in February uh, 20, uh, 2011. So these are very important components of what happened. Then you have all, all sorts of, uh, of, uh, of social and political struggles that developed uh, during this, uh, this period. Uh, in some cases, some uh, uh, women uh, associations were uh, were fighting. You had lawyers, you have others, you have student movements. So you have uh, uh, some forms of political struggle developing where that was possible, which is not everywhere. Not in Syria, not in Libya, not in the Saudi Kingdom, but definitely in Egypt, in Tunisia, and in, in other countries, or even Yemen for that matter, uh, in that case. So you had all that, but the, 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 re the real shift that made this uh, this uh, uprising take the, the shape that it took uh, uh, into a kind of politically coordinated movements with uh, clear stated goals uh, uh, spreading uh, not only to whole countries but to the whole region There's, there, uh, there isn't any single Arab speaking country that has not been affected by, by the, the, the uprising actually uh, or almost not with the exception of very artificial mini mini states in the gulf uh, uh, the, 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 the main shift here is uh, what uh, something which was made possible by the new technologies of uh, of information and communication i mean as i mean the 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 formula that was used in 2011 the facebook revolution mm. is of course impressionistic and all that it's okay that's uh, true. But there is definitely uh, an important element of truth in that, in the sense that without the, the, the technologies provided by the Internet, uh, the kind I mean, uh, of coordinations that were set up very quickly uh, in all these countries and organized the demonstrations and all that would not have been possible. What the Internet made possible is something that uh, you know, before the existence of this internet, would have uh, 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 needed uh, the build, building not a virtual, because you didn't have virtual, but a physical network, mm -hmm. which would have been in most cases an underground because of repression and all that, uh, at uh, high cost, very difficult to, to build. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, this is, this is where you have this, you know, this uh, very modern dimension of, uh, of the uprising. Right. And, 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 and then there's a chapter in the book which provides a, a balance sheets of the uprising, which gives all sorts of, and it's written in around mid-2012. And there's lots of, um, uh, mid-2012 or mid-2013? End of 2012. Yes, because, um, and, and, you know, there's some very striking analyses that are derived from this framework, which, as you say, isn't just Marx, it's Weber, and others, because, I mean, the way you analyze, I the, you know, the only state, what's the only state in the region that the state structure was shattered? And it's Libya in, in the balance sheet. I don't want you to go through all the balance sheets, no. but you do, you have an analysis of the conservative coup in, uh, in Egypt, 
which is, of course, quite suggestive. What I wanted you to do, though, if possible, again, it's too big and maybe you can pick one or two examples, but how would you update those balance sheets? I mean, I, I, one that comes to mind, obviously, we're, we're sitting here, it's three years since the 25th of January 2011, and there was what uh, I, I wonder if you'd characterize as a conservative coup uh, it, on July the 3rd, 2013, in Egypt, in that tradition. Uh, a conservative coup in the tradition that you mentioned. And now we're in, in, in a new scene in Egypt. How, how do you... I mean, some of your balance sheets hold up rather well. The shattered state in Libya, the basic, I mean, in Tunisia, it, it, you know, there's reading them again now. They, they seem to hold up. Do you do you have revisions to make or you you uh, where do you see the situation now compared to how you saw it a year ago? Is it all a lot more pessimistic than we thought, which is another, you know, rather blurred thesis that's out there in one, one, one way or another? Yeah, well, speaking just of Egypt, because that's what you, you, you're suggesting. Um, uh, first of all, I, I would say that uh, maybe, I mean, this is, has been actually uh, emphasized in, in uh, reviews of the book. But uh, on the contrary, I mean, I would say uh, the, the, the Egyptian part, the Egyptian balance sheet is probably uh, one, uh, one that uh, uh, is uh, outstandingly uh, uh, resisting the test of time in the sense that what emphasized in the book, and that was written uh, in the autumn of uh, 2012, at a time when Morsi had been elected, uh, uh, you had the whole comments on the Islamic winter, blah, 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 you know, the Arab Spring turn, turning into a winter, uh, that the Muslim Brotherhood had taken hold of the Egyptian state, and that the change at the head of the Egyptian army meant, uh, you know, uh, direct control, at the end of the, the military state in Egypt and civilian control. And the book explained that this is rubbish, and that, that even this change in the army that was done was done with the uh, agreement of, of the military by, by Morsi, and that Morsi doesn't control the military at all, and, and the military is still the real backbone of the deep state in Egypt. And this was completely confirmed by, by, by happened, what happened later. Uh, how to characterize this, uh, this new coup? And it's important to emphasize that this is the second coup. Because everybody said the coup, the coup of 3rd of July. But this is the second coup. In the, uh, the, uh, the 11th of February 2011 is even more of a military coup than this last one. Why more? Because in 2011, it is the Supreme Council of the Armed Forces that is a military junta that took power. So it's even more of a coup. This time they put civilians. Uh, but this time it's, I would say, uh, coming after one year of, uh, of Muslim Brotherhood uh, presidency and all that, uh, uh, this is a restorationist coup, if you want to use something, it's a reactionary in the broad sense. Uh, and, and we see these elements of restoration uh, going on, restoration of the ancien regime, hmm? mm. uh, even those features that people believed uh, had been... Uh, 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 smashed by, by the, the uprising uh, are, I mean, we can see how the military now are busy uh, 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 restoring uh, all that. Now, in the long, uh, I mean, the, for the long perspective, what I, I was categorical about 
in the book in, in saying that Morsi will fail and the army is still the, the, the real backbone of power. And the, the prediction is very clear in the book. I mean, it's not a prediction in the coffee uh, as we do in my part of the world, reading in coffee uh, cups. But it, it's based on, on the analysis of the roots of the uprising and the, 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 the lack of the beginning of a clue uh, for the Muslim Brotherhood in, in solving these problems. So I would, I would very much uh, contend that this is exactly the same still going on. That's why from the beginning of the uprising, I uh, I characterize this as not a spring, you know, it's the, 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 probably the, the, the most uh, misleading formula is spring, doesn't mean much, except that people expect something short. I call that a long-term revolutionary process, emphasizing the fact that it will be with us for many years to come, if not many decades, and after all, big uh, historical uh, his, uh, revolutionary processes, the English Revolution, the French Revolution, were there for decades. You know, it, uh, nobody uh, characterizes them as, as just weeks. And that's what started in 2011. And there is no way for, the, uh, for a restoration of the ancien regime in, in Egypt uh, to be stable. Because the key point, which was the key fa fa failure of Morsi, before even his political, huge political blunders, uh, uh, which is the, the, the economic crisis, the, 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 the fact that the unemployment kept and is keeping, is still, you know, uh, uh, growing uh, in a very alarming way and all that. This key problem won't be solved by the military because they don't have any any uh, any economic policy that is uh, different from what had been the continuity from Mubarak to Morsi to now. Basically, so that's where you have the the the, the, the key point, and uh, beyond that, I mean, this attempt at portraying Sisi as a new Nasser uh, is, uh, uh, on the one hand, uh, one could say, a homage. Uh, to the impact of or the nostalgia to Nasserism that exists in the country, which is not a nostalgia for military power, contrary to what some people may believe, but uh, a nostalgia for the social gains and national dignity that were uh, uh, represented by, by the Nasser era, the Nasserism. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and even creating such expectations by playing on this nostalgia is playing with fire for these military. Mm -hmm. uh, CC won't, I mean, uh, definitely, I mean, the, the time of, uh, of a new Bonaparte is, is, is over in Egypt. Uh, it's, uh, it's a part of the past. The, Egypt had its Napoleon Bonaparte, had Abdel Nasser. Uh, there's no uh, room now for any, any new experience of that kind. And what we have actually is just a reactionary regime, or a restorationist regime, trying to re, re uh, you know, uh, re re-establish what the 25th, uh, I mean the 25th January Revolution has, uh, has uh, overthrown, at yeah. least at the level of the top. Well, perhaps I can, uh, that's a good way to, I'm only going to really pose one question where I want to, you know, develop a critique, uh, because there's going to be lots of questions and probably we, there are people who want to hear about lots of different things. But as you said, one of the key, I mean, the book is called The People Want. And 
uh, as you just said, it's going to be very difficult for a restorationist uh, reactionary military to stay in power if, as you say, and you quote something that you wrote in December 2011, where you say, this is very important, quote, this is Gilbert, uh, I mean, it's, it's what you wrote, the fact that the masses have become accustomed to making their voices heard in the streets and public squares since the revolution began is the crucial condition for popular democratic control of a concentration of the nation's potential in state hands. So uh, the idea here is that the, uh, this intervention has, I mean, one way of putting it, I don't, know, I don't think you quite put it like this, but the constitution of a people, I mean, perhaps it's implicit in your title, the constitution of a people is an extremely powerful uh, political uh, process in terms of the process of the constitution of something that's political. Uh, and what in the book, what the, the part of the how we are led to understand the, the way in which the counter-revolution has operated uh, through... Uh, is through regionalism, sectarianism, and tribalism, which you characterize as sort of archaic logics which are retained within the modern state structures as strategies of power, whether imperially or otherwise. But there are these logics. Now, is it the case, is it not true to say, if we accept that, the importance of popular democratic control, the importance of the constitution of the people in public, in their, what Judith Butler calls their embodied practice of showing their peoplehood. Uh, and um, if the significance of that is clearly important, and the significance of how it contradicts the logics of tribalism, sectarianism, but you know, we can extend that a bit and say, well, it also contradicts the logics of Orientalism, uh, imperialism, the whole the way in which Orientalist discourse always denied the, the people nation. It would say tribes, it would speak of segments, it would speak of ethnicity. You know, we still, you know, we have programs in the Department of Government about ethnic conflict which appear to deny some of these basic political categories uh, that are so important. Citizenship, the people, nation, uh, popular sovereignty. Well, these are all political categories. So the constitution of the people, the idea that the people want something and that it can contradict these logics, which aren't just internal to the region, sectarianism, tribalism, etc. They're also part and parcel, we could argue, of Orientalist discourse. And so, and, and a whole series of familiar imperial sort of divide and rule projects. So if it's the case that that political act uh, and the kinds of mobilization that surround it are important, and... Uh, because I wonder if in the book, this figure that we have of Islamic fundamentalism, it also, it, does, it, 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 it counters this, this other logic of political constitution which can happen, which, which is a, I, I suppose, I mean, it's a modernist logic in one way or another. But uh, just the question is, if, uh, you know, if it's so significant, uh, and if it plays this important role, then how does, how does that ultimately square with the emphasis on that the idea that this contradiction is rooted in uh, a contradiction between the material forces of production and then the relations of production? How, because 
Is it? Is it? Uh, is there ultimately the, the question? Is is there an underestimation of the political in that in that kind of analysis? Um, I don't think so. I'm not going to tell you yeah, uh, as you may expect. Uh, no, the the I mean the uh, the economic factors first of all are only part of the picture, and you yourself mentioned and asked me to react in two minutes to one whole chapter about the political uh, factors in the explosion. That's on the one hand. So the political is very much part of the, of the determining factors of the explosion. But then uh, uh, whatever factors you may identify as having been the cause or the t determinant of the explosion, nothing is determined in terms of the outcome. The only thing that uh, I can, I mean, I allow myself to be categorical about uh, with regard to the future is not saying this will happen. It's just saying short of this, it won't stabilize. Okay? So this, I mean, this, the, 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 the kind of progressive outcome that brings a solution to the main predicament and all that is not to be taken for granted. It is not to be taken for granted. And here we see a major uh, dimension of the problem presently, which is uh, uh, the, 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 the lack of uh, organization in part, but uh, even more importantly than organization, the lack of strategy, of political strategy constituting a third camp, if you want, in the uh, general regional uprising. Because the, the whole region has been, uh, uh, you know, uh, you're speaking of Orientalism, but the, the depiction of the region as just being one where the only alternative is, I mean, the, the regime, the, 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 the existing order, the despotic order, let's say, and Islamic fundamentalism has been with us for decades. You know, that was the projection. That was the media even comment. And that was the, the key argument for in Washington or London or anywhere else to say, well, in, in, these, in this part of the world, better not to, 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 to uh, you know, put too much pressure for democracy because, uh, as Samuel Huntington put, called it the democracy paradox, uh, there are parts of the world where democracy brings anti-Western government. So we shouldn't be very much pushing for democracy. Well, that, that, I mean, th this idea has been, uh, at least at the beginning, 2011, uh, shattered by the uprising. And this Orientalist depiction of the region was, you know, uh, took a very severe blow. And now it's back with a revenge, with what's happening. And so you have all the, I told you so, getting here and saying, hey, you see, I mean, this, this country, this region is, is just, it can't be but, you know, it's either the, the old regimes that you had or, or Islamic fundamentalist nightmares as they pro projected. And they would, you know, point to Al-Qaeda and whatever or Syria presently as, as the, the, the kind of picture. But precisely the point is here. This, I mean, bears witness to the, 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 the weakness. If you take Syria, it's a good example. 
the, the, the failure in, of the Syrian opposition in from the start, uh, uh, especially the failure, I would say, of even not opposition, because this is this would refer to political forces. I would say the uprising, uh, 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 the, 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 the leaders of the uprising, the local coordination committees and all that, they failure to, to impose themselves as the leadership and uh, 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 a camp in and, uh, and by themselves, you know. This is the problem. And the regime did everything it could to push things back into the binary opposition. Us or jihadism. Now, from day one, Assad from day one said, oh, this is Al-Qaeda, these are jihadists. Exactly the same thing that Gaddafi uh, uh, said from day one of the uprising in Libya. Uh, and that's what they want. And that's what the military in Egypt today would say. It's us or the Muslim Brotherhood, you know. I mean, uh, and, and the problem is precisely uh, uh, the, the, I mean, uh, this, a key condition for any possible progressive outcome of all that is the emergence of political forces, which are not, uh, not parties, but it can be movements, can be whatever kind of uh, thing, but having clear strategies uh, of this kind. Short of this, then I could say, I mean, uh, the region uh, has a very, very, uh, well, would, I mean, the, the outcome would be extremely bleak. It would be the kind of very bleak outcome that is portrayed by uh, those who now already say, ah, it turned into a winter and all that, or the revolution that wasn't, or, you know, this kind of formulas, uh, just uh, considering that uh, all this is to be buried. I would say it is uh, more than premature to to uh, proclaim the death of, of, uh, of this uh, uprising. It is still actually in a very early phase, and uh, what we are seeing is still the early phase of this long-term revolutionary process. But on the other hand, uh, there is absolutely no certainty whatsoever about the outcome of all that. It can, I mean, the, we can hope for a progressive outcome based on the main gain until now of what happened, which, I, the, which is the reason why I chose the title The People Want and which you alluded to, that is the, 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 the fact that you have the surge for the first time in such a long period of, of a political will of the people in the streets and, and repeatedly look at Egypt, how many governments they have uh, overthrown in such a short period, you know, in the streets. This is amazing. It's, it's not only through the military action. Uh, uh, so this is is really uh, a condition by the ability to 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 uh, to to to, uh, to to build such forces with new strategies, and short of which, indeed, this confrontation between the the, the, the two terms of the alternative can actually bring disasters and that's the image of what you have unfortunately and very tragically in Syria right. okay well thank you very much so we thank now you. have uh, we now have half an hour for questions from the audience if you would be so kind as to say who you are uh, you will have a microphone I think and if you keep uh, your question reasonably short then more people will be able to participate. We'll probably take a string of questions and then get back to uh, Professor Ashkar. Who, and um, so, uh, yes, let's take it away. There's a gentleman uh, at the back with his hand up. 
Uh, good evening. <clears throat> My name is uh, Jonathan Wright. Uh, I have a fairly brief question. Uh, I'm inclined uh, uh, to think that it might be possible to analyze uh, specifically the Egyptian events on a class basis. But when we look at it, we see two parties, basically the deep state, which is nationalistic and conservative and allied with crony capitalism. And then we see the Islamists on the other side, who are um, more open, to, they're, they're, they have more regional, uh, less, more of a com- communitarian basis rather than state-based uh, uh, ideology, and are also more open to cooperation in the region and internationally. And yet, um, it's almost impossible to distinguish them on a class basis. I wondered uh, if you could have a look at that and tell us what you, how you see the difference between these two elites on a class basis. Socioeconomically, they seem very similar. The difference seems to be purely ideological. All right. Very good. Thank you. Let's have a few more questions if we can. Um, there's a gentleman over here. <coughs> Uh, hi, my name's Tom Barron. I'm from the Gulf Centre. Uh, I was just wondering, you made two points. Which One, Gulf? Which Gulf Centre? Uh, the Gulf Centre for Strategic Studies. Okay. In the in the UAE or uh, in the UK? Okay. All right. Um, you mentioned two points. One was about the failure of a third kind of organised opposition to break the tie between the states and uh, Islamic extremists being able to develop. And you also mentioned a point of the use of the technology and internet to develop the movement very quickly and get a lot of people onto the street. Do you see a connection between those two points? Like, if the internet wasn't there and it did have to go underground and be more expensive and more time-consuming, do you think it would be able to develop a much more structured um, way of kind of dealing with the protests? Did you get that? Hmm? Did you get that? You yeah. 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 Okay, great. All right, how about lady at the back? Well, hi, I'm Olary Five from San Andres University. Well, speaking about Syria, you mentioned that uh, the leader of the uprising, and we are not talking here about the the, uh, the figures in the opposition itself, which is fractured and divided, as you mentioned. You you said that it's it's failed to impose itself as maybe a political actor or an actor in the drama, but. Don't you think that it's due to the external actors, to, to, to the U.S., to the U.K., to Qatar, to Hezbollah, who divided, already divided uh, opposition and who prevented the, the construction of a solid and cohesive opposition in Syria? Talking about the grassroots level. Thank you. Okay, let's, let's have one more then. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, hi, my name is uh, Yasmina Deeb. I'm a student at uh, LSE. Um, you said how neoliberalism will not work in the region. Um, I was wondering what your views were on um, the role of the private sector and its influence on um, economic growth in places like Dubai in the Middle East. All right. Well, we have four questions. Class in Egypt, internet grassroots organizing in Syria and the role of the private sector in Dubai. (laughs) Okay, thank you very much for the the, uh, questions which are 
all uh, actually very interesting questions. Uh, I'll take them in the order of, uh, of uh, I mean, the order in which uh, you, you, you express them. Uh, the first one, uh, I mean, I indeed, um, I mean, analyze the differences, the social differences between the, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt and the, 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 the crony capitalism of the Ancien Regime uh, or, or the Ancien Regime, which is being now restored uh, in, uh, in that country. It's not a matter of class difference if you take, if you mean by that different classes, but we are speaking of different fractions of 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 the of capitalist uh, of the capitalist class, uh, uh, and here the, the, I mean the the, the the difference is between the what I call here the, I mean the state bourgeoisie this is this politically determined capitalism in Weberian terms, which is uh, which was very much uh, the, the main. Uh, uh, social uh, partner of, uh, of, uh, of, of the military uh, in, in the uh, Egyptian uh, uh, regime and uh, uh, the, 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 I mean the, the Muslim Brotherhood representing a section of what I would call the market bourgeoisie that is those who are not who did not were not making their money through connections uh, with the state uh, uh, um, and I mean, I, I get into also some uh, comparison and contrast between Turkey and the kind of uh, of uh, capitalist uh, sectors on which the Turkish AKP uh, uh, was was built, and and uh, that that you find in Egypt. All that to to draw the picture of uh, of uh, the the social uh, um, character of what the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood represents, and therefore, which is uh, actually an even more crudely neoliberal uh, perspective than even that of uh, of the the of the, the Mubarak regime initially, and how this was, uh, you know, uh, doomed to to fail. Uh, which I did uh, again. That uh, was uh, written in the autumn of 2012, and we could see how how quickly, actually, much faster than uh, what I would have expected. Uh, this this uh, this whole experience has failed. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, the question about whether, uh, without the internet, uh, what could have developed in kind of uh, forms of uh, structuration of, uh, of, uh, of, of opposition in the region. Uh, well, I mean, you, you, we have to understand that all this comes in a kind of convergence of historical factors. Uh, the background is the collapse of, uh, pre, I mean, what I would call the 20th century forms of, of, uh, of political uh, movements. And the, the, the communist movement, the, the nationalist movement, all these uh, uh, failed in the region. And uh, uh, with the turn of the century, uh, all these uh, kind of, uh, of currents were uh, really marginalized or extremely weakened in the region. Of course, uh, I'm speaking of opposition because you still have the remnants of nationalist regimes, but they were actually remnants and actually quite degenerate remnants like what you had in Libya, Syria, or... Uh, or Iraq before the U.S. Uh, uh, invasion. Um, uh, on the other hand, you have, uh, I mean, states which had perfectioned the techniques of repression. 
and to an extreme uh, degree. And that also explains why you had a stabilization of despotic regimes and, and uh, uh, after a succession of, of coups in the 60s, everyone noticed that you had a stabilization of military dictatorships with people like Hafez al-Assad in, uh, in Syria or Gaddafi in Libya, for instance, uh, reconstructing, reshaping radically the, the state apparatus, the armed forces, and making it, reshaping it in a way uh, the, the, that, I mean, turning it into something organically linked to the regime. That is, instead of for instance, what you have in Egypt, where the army in itself is an institution with its own autonomy, uh, in countries like uh, Libya or, or Syria, for that matter, uh, the, 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 the main um, core of the armed forces is actually a Praetorian guard of the regime, uh, organically linked through sectarian, tribal, and other factors uh, to the rulers. Uh, so it would have been extremely difficult to uh, you know, to manage to build the kind of underground <coughs> parties, networks, etc., that we have seen in 20th century leading revolutions. Uh, uh, even actually, the, the last major revolution of 20th century was one which also was an exception in that regard. The Iranian Revolution uh, uh, managed to use a network which had absolutely no revolutionary vocation in itself, which is the religious uh, network, which became the kind of party of the revolution, and the, the, leading to this monarchy, as it has been called, that you have now in Iran. So really, the, the, the internet here uh, has, uh, is uh, absolute, I mean, is very crucial in understanding uh, the shape of what happened uh, uh, recently. And it will be, I mean, it is already uh, very much so in other kind of uh, social movements, uh, political protests, and all that all over the planet, actually. But here you had a very strong uh, illustration. Syria. Uh, no, of course, uh, Qatar, U.S., everything you said is absolutely true. But the problem is, I think, that the, the main error of the local coordinating committees who were the real you know, organizer of the uprising in Syria is to have accepted to delegate legitimacy to a self-appointed leadership in Istanbul with Turkey, Qatar, and all these guys that you mentioned, uh, heavily in, uh, involved in creating it. And that's the, the beginning of the, 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 the end of, the, of, of this, of the, 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 the hope created by the, 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 the Syrian uprising. So that's the problem. That's what I mean when I say the failure in, in really stressing and sticking to the necessity of, of creating a leadership of the revolution dedicated to the revolution, to the kind of aspirations that were really at the start, at the beginning of this everywhere. Uh, the Islamic fundament, I mean, the Muslim Brotherhood, to take them as an example, joined, you know, uh, the, the, the movement after it started everywhere, actually. They did not initiate it anywhere. In Egypt, it was very clear. They refused to sign the call for 25th January. There were 17 organizations called for 25th January 2011. The Muslim Brotherhood did not sign. They joined the movement three days later. It's well known in Egypt. So 
so, I mean, this, those who initiated all that, who organized all that, and who represent these progressive aspirations, and mostly young, of course, but always revolutions are, you know, done by young people, by almost definition. Uh, this is the problem that they have been, you know, swamped uh, in, 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 in this uh, bilateral, the all bilateral, the all binary kind of, of opposition that existed, and that's, that's, I think, a problem. But I'm not uh, burying even the Syrian revolution. I don't think that the potential is dead and that it's defeated. I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, uh, of course, as long as it's a war, as it is now, uh, there is very, very, very little, little prospect for this perspective to, to, uh, you know, to come out. But at some day, one can hope. Uh, I mean, this uh, military uh, dimension of uh, the, the, the military phase will come to an end. And then I think this potential is still there. I don't think that uh, by any way uh, a majority of the Syrian population is attracted by, uh, you know, Salafi kind of programs. Not at all. And all these young people who led the, the revolution and, uh, I mean, tens of thousands of whom have been jailed by the, the regime and all that, uh, one can hope that they will come out someday from these jails and all that, and we can see the resumption, therefore, of these dynamics, initial dynamics of the, the revolution. Uh, finally, about, about Dubai. Well, Dubai is a good illustration of, uh, of what we're seeing. This is the kind of comprador, very much comprador uh, capitalism, very much, uh, 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 you know, speculative real estate speculation, uh, financial speculation, uh, trade and all that, short-term profit. I mean, this is exactly the, the kind of, uh, of, of, of capitalism that uh, uh, strives in the region. But you don't, what you don't find is, is uh, the real development. Uh, actually, I mean, Dubai... Uh, the, I mean, Dubai, Qatar, uh, even Kuwait, for that matter, or Bahrain, these are extremely artificial constructions. You know, uh, so-called countries where 80% of the population are expats without any rights, without even, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 I would say half the rights of migrant workers in the West, for instance, 80% of the population, I mean, this is not, uh, these are not, uh, uh, I mean, these are absolutely uh, artificial construction in, in the first place. And fi I mean, finally, I mean, if you take also a closer look at this ca capitalism, you'll see that the major part of it are people connected to the ruling family anyway. Thank you. Further questions? Lady at the back. Yes, thank you. Um, Claire Spence of Chatham House here in London. Um, thank you very much for some thought-provoking ideas, and I'm just wondering whether I can press you further on what the progressive strategies you've been talking about might look like. What form will they take? Do they require more institutionalization, uh, given that the spontaneous side of things hasn't particularly worked? And how will they come about, given that, as we've seen in the last few years, societies 
have been conditioned by top-down control, by dependency, economically and politically, um, this often breeds an atmosphere in which there's very little trust. It was, if you like, the trust was there enough to organise to go out in the street, but what is required for people actually to organise in a way that is sustainable over the longer term? And in that respect, can I tempt you with one example? We've just seen in Tunisia that they finally agreed a constitution. There seems to be some growth of consensus, although one often wonders how fragile that really is, but there is a, an agreed government in, in, in power, at least for the interim before next elections. Would you have any, if not recipes, for what should happen in Tunisia? I'm particularly interested in what are the economic uh, recipes, if you like, or, or, or ways of dealing with the economics of the region which would actually see things moving forward. Thank you. Gentlemen, here. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, Conrad Barwa from uh, Prime. Um, you'd, you'd mentioned the, the role of Saudi Arabia and obviously, you know, how um, uh, obviously as a generator of a very sort of uh, reactionary and um, quite extreme ideology in the region. Um, I think Bruce Rydell in, his, in, the, in a very recent paper has estimated that um, what he terms is um, their counter-terrorism program, uh, which is basically obviously pumping money into not only neighboring regimes but also conflicts like Syria, is now, in his estimate, running up to nearly $30 billion a year. So that's a, that's a huge, um, I mean, I don't know how accurate the figure is, but that's a huge amount of money uh, pushing against at least some of what, you know, you, what you would term as, um, you know, the, the sort of uh, aspirations of what a lot of the, the sort of popular movements want. Um, and I think just, I just want to ask whether you think, obviously this is a process that's been ongoing for a number of decades. I mean, what, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have? Do you think that will be able to staunch or stem the, the pressures that are com the democratic pressures that are coming up? And also the fact that a lot of the transitions or the uprisings that have happened, whether successful or not, seem to have taken place in non-oil producing countries. I mean, you've talked a little bit about the, you know, the capitalism uh, distorted or whatever it is of the Gulf states, but none of them really have been very badly shaken, except maybe Bahrain, I think, by any sort of democratic movement. I mean, there's been some limited pressures in Kuwait, um, maybe largely the parliament, but, you know, I th most of them seem to be relatively stable. Uh, I don't know whether you'd say that's with the structural factors or other things, but if you could just okay. make a, a, a small comment on that. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, two big questions, the spontaneity, the trust, the economic recipes in Tunisia, and the so-called counter-terrorism programs coming out of Riyadh, along with uh, the other question. Hmm. Yeah, thank you again. Um, well, I, I, this time I start by the, I mean, the, the last uh, set of questions. Um, the, the, the counter-terrorism in the sense, and uh, for the Saudi Kingdom nowadays means uh, trying to counter Al Qaeda, which is an outgrowth of Wahhabism. Actually, as you know, uh, fifteen of the nineteen uh, 
perpetrators of the, the, the 9-11 attacks were, were Saudi uh, subjects, not citizens. The term wouldn't apply there. Um, uh, uh, is mostly, therefore, uh, devoted uh, to, to that. And it's an attempt by the Saudi kingdom to, uh, you know, um, uh, refurbish, restore some kind of image uh, which has been very much damaged in the West by accusation that they are responsible for all this uh, trend of, of, of terrorism, which actually is true. Uh, now, uh, the way they do it, what's the strategy of the Saudis faced with the uprising today? Uh, one is everywhere where they can is supporting the old order fully, the ancien regime. Or, or intervening to 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 get it, yeah, the enthusiasm of the Saudis for the Sisi coup in in Egypt is is very clear in that regard. The role of the Salafis, who are Saudi funded, in Egypt in supporting the coup and breaking with the Muslim Brotherhood and supporting the coup is also part of that. Uh, uh, the, their intervention in Yemen in in producing this total uh, totally abortive. Uh, uh, so-called settlement of the situation there with, uh, with Ali Abdullah Saleh it's, and their military intervention in Bahrain uh, to, uh, you know, to deter one of the main, the six main uprisings of, uh, that started in 2011. Uh, so that's their main <laughs> policy and that's where they put their money. Second uh, thing, when in cases where they can't or support the existing regime, then uh, they would try to support forces in the opposition that represent no threat to their interests. And these would be generally Islamic fundamentalist forces, but not the Muslim Brotherhood, who used to be until 1990, all this is explained in the book, the stories told uh, used to be uh, Saudi-linked and Saudi-funded, and who turned to Qatar after a break with the Saudi kingdom uh, in the early 90s. Uh, uh, but the, the Salafis and such forms, uh, such groups of organization, and speaking again of, of Syria, for instance, we can see a competition between the Saudis and Qataris in funding such groups. Uh, in the armed, uh, among the armed uh, uh, factions in that uh, in that country. Uh, as for the idea that uh, the Gulf, uh, um, uh, the GCC, let's say, is a kind of uh, island of stability, it's a complete illusion. It's a complete illusion. As I said, one of the six major uprisings has been in Bahrain. Now, you mentioned Kuwait, where you had some movement which is uh, very specific of the autochtons, etc. But Oman has seen important social uh, movement, which has hardly been uh, reflected in the media. And the Saudi kingdom itself has seen some uh, turmoil and important even protest movement, uh, demonstrations and all that in the eastern province, and that was uh, repressed uh, harshly. And at the same time, what they did, and all this regime, but especially the Saudi kingdom, they tried to buy their population. In 2011, when it started exploding everywhere, they just threw billions of dollars in wage raises, in adventures of all kinds, you know, trying to soften down the, the, the situation. So that's what, what happened basically. 
Um, <clears throat> As for uh, the, 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 the question about the, the, the pro, uh, progressive uh, strategies, I mean, uh, well, in, <clears throat> yeah, this is a formula I used in the book. I used it actually in the uh, first time in a, in, a, in, a, in a speech which I reproduced here, which I gave in Tunisia in, in CD. Uh, uh, CD. Huh? Bouzid. Sidi Bouzid, where where all started in uh, on 17 December 2010, and I was invited there for the first anniversary of that. Uh, but it, it, it's basically uh, I put it in different terms now. I mean, I think that because of everything I explained, and that neoliberal recipes are absolutely doomed to fail in this region. Uh, you definitely need developmentalism, that is a, a massive involvement of the state in development, in fostering, in, 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 uh, in uh, leading uh, economic, social, etc. development. Now, the region has been through, through a kind of developmentalist phase, but that was a phase where this developmentalism were, uh, you know, led by dictatorships, nationalist dictatorships. Uh, uh, and that was one major reason for, for the failure, for the bankruptcy of these experiences, like in Egypt, Iraq, Syria, Algeria, etc. You can, I mean, so many of, of these uh, in the region. Now, uh, what, what uh, succeeded that is getting rid of developmentalism, but keeping dictatorship, basically, and corruption and the rest. Well, I think the reverse is what would have been needed and is what is needed. That is, we need not a return to the kind of developmentalism that existed in the region, but one which is b precisely based on this major gain and dimension of, of what's happening now, the, the, the will of the people, real democracy, uh, real democratic sovereignty. And I, I should say, despite everything that's happening now in Egypt, uh, nevertheless, I think what we have seen in Egypt in the, 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 in the three years is a lesson in democracy, I would say, even to our here, very old established democracies. Because democracy, the end of the day, if it is to be limited to voting every you know, four years and having no say in between and coping with you know, uh, elected democratically elected governments that uh, do exactly uh, the contrary of the aspirations of what even a major section of those who voted for them expected, then I, I don't think I would call this democracy. If democracy is the sovereignty of the people, this should be uh, verified permanently. And that's where this, this pattern of, of people you know, coming to the streets demanding uh, even after a free election, you have this in Libya, you have this in Tunisia, you have uh, this, you know, we have seen this in Egypt. This is very, in my view, very healthy from a democratic point of view. And what we need is build on that in, 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 into creating not only liberal democracies as we have here, but even deeper than that, more radical democracies hmm, in the region with uh, this kind of uh, of, uh, of, uh, of perspective. Now, speaking of Tunisia, very specifically, Tunisia has the major advantage to compare to any other country in the region of having 
a powerful organized movement that could reflect the aspirations of the uprising. And I mean here the uh, labor movement. It's the only of its kind in, in, the, in, the, Arab, uh, in the Arab world. And uh, <clears throat> this is by far the main force, the main uh, social political force in the country. But, uh, unfortunately, there is no, and that I come back to what I was saying, more than the problem of organization, you have the problem of strategy. What we see in Tunisia is like what we, saw, what we see in Egypt, where we, we see uh, uh, the, the left, and the left now is very much at the helm of the labor movement in, in Tunisia, you know, shifting from, a line, I mean, playing within the, the binary, if you want, shifting from the alliance with the uh, Muslim Brotherhood or Nahda against the Ancien Regime into an alliance with remnants of the, of the Fulul, the remnants of the Ancien Regime against Nahda or the Muslim Brotherhood. And this is a pity, because what is needed is really a third camp, some, you know, against both counter-revolutionary forces that uh, are, you know, preventing this progressive outcome of the uprising. All right. Well, on that note, I would like to thank you all very much for coming. I would like to thank very much uh, the Middle East Centre for organising this event and, uh, above all, to Gilbert for that, uh, you know, an analysis that is, you know, it's exacting, it's erudite. Of course, there's plenty more criticisms we could have made. On the other side, if you have a rich analysis that's rooted in the real historical problems of the region and you have a way to think about the region in that way, well, you know, we get an, an interesting and important discussion. So thank you very much. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very much.